0: It is great to be part of a congregation that has um, incredibly diverse and amazing gifts. And one of the coolest things right now is um, we get, while Carrie is on vacation, um, we get somebody from our own congregation to speak to us, with us, to lead us in understanding what God wants from us. Um, Amanda Steenstra has been um, part of us for a while now, yeah? Mm-hmm. Quite a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long. It doesn't matter. <laughs> She's part of us now. Um, she, is, uh, she works with... Um, fostered and adopted kids in the social work world, child welfare stuff, and she is uh, graduating this spring from Western Theological Seminary, and it's just a really great honor to have you here. We're glad that uh, you're part of us and that you're leading us today. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you all this morning. Hopefully I can find my notes. Um, a quick plug for life skills. I will be in the doing child care this Tuesday, so if you want to hang out, I'd love to hang out with you. Uh, the more, the merrier, probably, so we don't get outnumbered, and you know how that can go. So that'd be awesome to see you there. Um, it's good to be with you. Uh, when Carrie mentioned that I'm mildly excited, that was pretty accurate. Uh, I love to be in this place, and I love to worship and gather with you all. But usually I'm a little more comfortable, you know, at a back table, maybe the front row. Um, but I didn't want my nerves to, to stop me from sharing with you uh, the ways that God has shown his faithfulness and love to me throughout my life. So I'm, I, it's good to be here with you. And as my kids will often will testify if you ask them, I've been preaching at our kitchen table for years. So <laughs> I might as well spread that love to you all here. So last week, uh, Carrie had shared with us that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's a little different for each of us. Uh, That even in the New Testament, we have four different accounts of Jesus' life, all with various emphasis and details. And when the Bible was canonized, when it was brought together as we have it now, instead of just summarizing all the stories and kind of cleaning it up and um, clearing up what seems like sometimes some contradictions between the The different stories, they were left separate and distinct uh, for a reason, it seems. So, as the good news of God's rescue mission, of God's unconditional love for the whole world spread, the book of Acts and the letters of the churches were also recorded. And then over the centuries, we continue to have people testify to the good news of God in their lives. We have this through stories and poetry, we have this in art and in music. And there seems to be something really important about these various voices sharing what it means that God became flesh and dwelt among us and continues to be Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe there's just too much going on here to wrap it all up into one story and one viewpoint. So even as we came to the table last week, we were reminded that each have our own story of how the love of God is renewing us and restoring us And in many ways, has brought us from death to life. So, today I would like to share with you a part of my own story of the good news of Jesus Christ in my own life. And I'd like to begin with the words of the late poet and prophet Mary Oliver Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. I was born and raised in a small border town of Sarnia, Ontario, Canada. My parents were first-generation Dutch Canadians. Their parents, my grandparents, had immigrated to Canada after the devastation of World War II. And And like most immigrants, given the opportunity of a new start and a new life, they worked hard to earn a living, to support their families. They worked with their local community to build a church and a Christian school, My parents were high school sweethearts, marrying in their later teens, starting a family in their early 20s, and everything seemed to be in place for a really good and productive life together. But by the time I was born, my dad was deep in the throes of addiction, in and out of rehab with no end in sight. And addiction is really insidious. It sucks up your hopes, it sucks up your dreams, your best intentions, down one long and really unforgiving path. It continually makes false promises of relief of a full life, but in its cruel irony, it does the exact opposite. It can push out all that really matters, including relationships, meaningful work, deep connection and reliance on a good and loving God. For my dad, it took over absolutely everything. He lost his license, his job, and eventually his marriage. And I lost a father. His his visits with us when we were little were infrequent, and they eventually just stopped altogether. And this painful experience even drove my mom into a deep depression, which led into her own battle with addiction, until she eventually sought help in God and in a 12-step program. And thankfully, she's been in recovery for decades now. These chaotic and painful early years, however, shaped me deeply. Early childhood trauma has a way of doing that. You learn to be hypervigilant, which is, you're kind of always aware of your environment, you're really ready to respond, and very self-reliant in order to stay safe. You carry lots and lots of shame. What your parents had done, it feels like it's a part of you, and it makes you question your own value and your own sense of worth. And since my caregivers were often absent either physically or emotionally in the earliest years of my life, I quickly learned to take care of myself and to only really trust myself. This helped me get through those years, but it was really no way to truly live. It can take away your ability to relax, to be creative, to live in healthy, interdependent community with others. God, however, did not leave my side. From as early as I can remember, I felt the loving presence of a good God, even though my circumstances sometimes begged me to question this very reality. But I can remember, even when I was very young, having a sense that this is not the end of the story, that I was not alone. I would sit in church and in Sunday school, and I would just soak up the stories of God's love and care. I learned that there really was someone I could truly trust and rely on. And I can remember just before entering high school, sitting in an empty church in the back pew, back when we had pews, praying that God would be with me no matter what comes, and he's been faithful to that promise again and again. Pain and suffering makes theologians of us all, says Barbara Brown-Taylor in her book, An Altar in the World. She relates a night of excruciating pain, and for some of us, describes our emotional pain as well. I began the kind of bargaining with God that I do not even believe in, she says. And when that did not work, I called, I called God's honor into question. I begged God to do something. I dared God to do something. And finally, close to dawn, I found myself turning away from the God in charge of pain removal toward the God who had stayed with me through the pain, no matter what I said. So later in life, I was drawn into the field of social work in order to understand human behavior, how family and social systems work, how they affect each other, and hopefully, to help others. And God met me there. I learned that I was in, need, in deep need of love, or sorry, love and help myself, and that we are highly influenced by families and communities and belief systems that we're born into, that we have a primal need for safety and a sense of belonging and our lives to have meaning and purpose. And I learned that our pain and suffering needs to be recognized. It really needs to be tended to in order to heal, or else we will very likely transmit that pain and that suffering onto others. We see this in the world all around us. So human behavior is really complex, but it can change with the right encouragement and supports, and of course, by the work of God in our lives. I was also drawn into studying theology and seminary in order to understand the very deepest questions of life. Why are we here? Who is God? What does it mean to be saved? What sense can we make of evil and suffering? And I have all the answers today. No, I really don't. (laughs) But God met me there. I learned that we were created out of love. Right in the beginning in Genesis 1, it seems that God's almost tripping over God's self, saying, this is so good. This is really, really good. I learned that sin and evil are a distortion, a twisting of the good, with no real existence on their own. God is not the author of sin and evil. And even as the theologian Augustine would say, sin is a parasite to what is good. This is really good news because it reminds us that underneath the dirt and the muck, there is good in all things and in all people. We are made in the image of God, and although that image can definitely get marked up or seem kind of hidden, it's still there. This gives us reason and motivation to see the sacred worth of ourselves and of others, regardless of our very real differences and regardless of the pain and the disappointment that some of our relationships carry for us. I learned that although we can't fully understand evil and suffering, we know what God is doing about it. God has done what needs to be done to deal with evil and suffering by entering into it. Through the life, through the death, and the resurrection of Christ, which is told throughout the biblical narrative, Scripture also allows, it even seems to encourage, protest and lament. It's all over the Psalms. We have lamentations. God deeply cares about our pain and our suffering. We do not need to keep quiet about it. I learned that salvation may have less to do with reciting the sinner's prayer or going to heaven when we die, and a whole lot more to do with healing and transformation in this life as a foretaste of all that is to come in the new heaven and the new earth. In some mysterious and beautiful way, what Christ does in us and what we do in response as agents of Christ's eventual renewal of all things, it really matters, both now and in the future. And we get to be a part of that rescue mission by attending to our own suffering, entering into the suffering of others, and not necessarily with all the answers, but with the assurance that we are never alone and that in God, in time, God is making all things new. So what do we do with this? Well, we can continue in compassionate community together in really practical ways. We drive each other to counseling or to rehab or to a 12-step meeting. We sit in the silence of the devastation of the accident or the diagnosis together. We cry. We pray We lament, we celebrate together. A tater tot casserole becomes the sweetest offering to a family in crisis. An unexpected check comes in the mail. The lawn is mowed, the driveway gets shoveled. A thoughtful text message or a card or a phone call comes at just the right time. These all become life-giving, sacred offerings. We watch the kids. We ask what helps the survivor feel safe. We respect the need for connection, also the times for solitude. We make space and time for those in the trenches of suffering, holding our stories as guides, but never imposing our own path of healing. We promote each other's wellness by respecting boundaries and practicing our own self-care, making room for the intentional time needed to really tend to our interior life with God we start or we continue daily practices that have been passed down from generation to generation by sharing our stories, meditating on the promises of Scripture, spending time in prayer, breaking bread together. So if pain and suffering can shatter our sense of time and space and place, our sense of meaning, even our identity, how does remembering the larger narrative of God, and what God is up to in the world, build a sense of resistance and resilience to this evil and suffering that we encounter. The stories of creation, fall, redemption, and ultimate restoration throughout the biblical text give each of us a larger framework of hope that we can connect into when our own story feels lost and disconnected. Both the Hebrew scriptures, which is the Old Testament, and the New Testament introduce us to numerous brothers and sisters who have suffered through times of devastation and hopelessness. We are introduced to an entire nation that experiences enslavement and occupation. Although each story helps us feel less alone in and of themselves, the overarching narrative of God's love for his creation and his plan for its ultimate flourishing draws us out from under our own suffering to a larger narrative of hope and healing. We too can proclaim the promise that this is not the end of the story and that suffering and oppression will not have the last word. In Revelation 21, we read of one such promise. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. So my dad did not find full healing in this life. He died about four years ago from the abuse that his body had endured from years of addiction. I sat by his hospital bed near the end of his life, holding the hand of someone who had failed to hold mine, whispering words of forgiveness and blessing that were never reciprocated, at least not out loud. And this is a miracle. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that God could take such a deep wound that was created by addiction and divorce and an absent parent, and slowly and lovingly melt away the blinding hurt, the anger, the bitterness that broken relationships create. And he allowed me to see who God had created my dad to be, not just who he had become. This is a journey from death to life. I have hope even now that my dad has finally found full healing and redemption, because not even physical death has the last word, according to the promises of God. So may we go into this coming year sharing our stories, our good news of God's love and his faithfulness to us, not only in the words that we say, but also in the simple actions of care and in love for each other, both here in this place, but also in our neighborhoods, in our vocations, in our schools, and wherever God leads us this year. May we celebrate together, may we laugh together, may we cry together through the joys and the sorrow that this year will bring, but may we be assured of God's promise that there is always hope, that even death cannot erase, and that he is truly making all things new. And we praise God for that. So let's pray together. Good and loving God, we thank you for all the ways you have carried us and you love us, even when the pain and suffering can make us lose sight of you and your continued faithfulness to us. May we feel your presence not only in the goodness and the joy of life, but especially in our darkest moments. Help us as a community to be the hands and feet of Jesus together, to be the light in the darkness in both profound and simple practical ways. May this come out of the fullness of love and grace that you continually offer us, if only we will receive it. Help us to trust you, to rely on you, with arms that are open wide to all that you promise and provide. And may we walk through this coming year with the assurance of your love for us, never hustling for our God-given worthiness, remembering that we have been created in goodness, that the sin that sometimes ensnares us can never erase this truth, and that there are always opportunities to grow and to change as your Spirit dwells in us and among us. Thank you that we can count on your continued faithfulness to us now and always, and that even death does not have the last word, because you have promised us that you are making all things new, both now and in the fullness of life to come. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.